Tanel and Jeremy Tanel. Streaming to you recorded from Seattle, Washington. Here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Plowline Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Jeremy Tunnell, and we're really excited to bring you a conversation that we had this morning with Dr. Arian Mobasser uh, from the University of Oregon. Uh, Dr. Mobasser is a child of Im- uh, Iranian immigrants, um, a recovering accountant, and a developmental scientist. Arian currently holds the position of coordinator of the Men's Resource Center at the University of Oregon. It's one of the first and only campus resource centers of its kind. And it's a really exciting uh, conversation that we talk about how men are left behind in our current society. Uh, Aryan's doctoral research was focused on well-being during the transition from childhood to adulthood and called on the and, and the project was called the Freshman Project. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation, and we really did. It's uh, once again in this whole dialogue that we're having about what it is to be a just and equitable society. It's so important that in order to do so, nobody gets left behind. So, without further ado, I bring you Dr. Aryan Mobasser. Thank you. Well, Dr. Mobasser, I want to I want to know more about your work and how do we how do we get how do we invite men into the conversation? Mm. <laughs> Small question. And why um, is that important? Right. Well, maybe we'll start with why it's important. I think. Um, and uh, well. You know, I think back to um, one of the things that I think about and one of the moments where the the why sort of became a bit more crystallized for me is actually not with respect to gender uh, specifically, but around uh, political affiliation. I remember during the um, during the presidential election of and I'm not good with dates, but whichever the first one was uh, uh, leading up to the. 45 and the the dynamic and the narrative that I was hearing uh, on campus in my classrooms and even among some of my friends which was this really um, uh, I mean it was almost like we were we were we were at a football game that if we that if we could just beat the other team so to speak, uh, then we would be victorious and everything. Then we could relish in this sort of the glory of, of what we had done uh, and move on. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, and, and as it's played out, like even just at the outset, but especially in the wake of everything that happened, just that framing of, um, uh, of our political discourse, but also in the extent to which it, it uh, generalizes to a lot of the ways that we think about community, which is that like, if I can just dominate the forces that, that, I, that I feel or am or feel superior to, then everything's going to be great, hmm. you know, and, um, 
And I don't know that I don't know that that's you know I'm not as well versed in history as as uh, as y'all are, but I don't know that that's ever worked really for any population of people. Uh, this idea that's very much rooted in patriarchal thinking, which is that like um, of dominance and, and overpowering. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it just always struck me like, what do we what if, do we think that the people who hold these uh, ideas, beliefs, attitudes, this um, socialization really uh, mm. over a lifetime uh, and or generations upon generations of 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 lifetimes um, are just going to go away. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it relates to my um, perspective on on why engaging men is in, is important because um, you know and and y'all have. Uh, spoken to it several times already um you know this idea of uh, cohesion of community of, of co-creation not just cre- I, I really actually so much appreciate um that it's it's not co creation but co-creation that it requires sort of this reciprocal and mutual investment and in, in for us to uh to build um this sort of I, I i the world um that that serves us and and heals us all um and so yeah i've just uh just very aware of how um i feel aware of my own belief that division is not the answer and that the key to the cohesive communities that it sounds like we all uh, aspire to are rooted in inviting uh men and and uh, people of differing beliefs and attitudes and socializations into the conversation rather than alienating them and uh and and reifying some of the same sort of dynamics that that we find problematic in the first place well said yeah uh, i want to go to this quote that that you had at the beginning of your presentation um at incor uh this this past year um name of that presentation was leaving men behind and um and the the quote was men are woefully unprepared to lead um, with the power and privilege to create a more and just, just and equitable society. Uh, and I think that that really grabbed me at the beginning of your presentation. Um, um, you know, it's, it, it's not that, that, uh, it's, it, it's not a patriarchal idea, right? That, well, men have got to lead this. And if they're going to lead this, we've got to equip them with tools. It's that, um, it, it it's that, um, we're equipping, uh, we're equipping everybody else and we're just kind of leaving men out, which means that um, over here, they're not just going to go away. Right. In fact, what they're going to do is they're, it, that, that, that part of society is going to fester. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, fester. And, and with, you know, one of the things that is the core uh, concepts that I studied during my, uh, during my doctoral work is the idea of social excu- exclusion, uh, especially among adolescents, um, but a lot of our work applies to human beings um, uh, across the developmental trajectory. But and, and the effect that social exclusion has on psychological well-being, um, uh, emotional experience, mood, developmental trajectories, like how those experiences then help predict um, the um, socio-emotional development um, into perpetuity. And uh, yeah, to to your point that that we. Uh, the the idea that we would um, resolve some of these issues by alienating a, a sub 
population of our community, um, I think will ultimately end up doing a lot more damage than good um, on, a, on, a, on a societal level. Um, yeah, and to that premise, I really appreciate, um, well, the reflection of what, what I said, I guess, um, which is that, you know, and I think I mentioned this during the presentation, um, you know, we have some really basic, fundamental, structural, systemic issues uh, with the way that our society is constructed, um, patriarchy and patriarchal thinking, uh, I have it as, as top of mind as being one of the sort of primary culprits. Um, and, you know, in my sort of relatively naive and idealized version uh, of the world, um, that system wouldn't exist. Hmm. We would have supplanted that with something that's uh, rooted in more in community and, and egalitarianism and, and equity rather than uh, dominance and, and oppression and, and violence. To the extent that that system is firmly entrenched and continues to persist and will continue to persist, the least that we can do uh, is to ensure that, um, you know, that the, the folks, the people who do end up benefiting from this system of in unequal privilege um, are more whole, more capable, more sensitive, hmm. uh, and, and have an opportunity to see the ways in which um, they themselves can be change makers to help uh, leverage the machine uh, and the parts of the machine to try to create a different product. Yeah. Yeah, I, I often wonder, um, um, I'm going to get mired down in language and maybe we can kind of sort through it as we go. Um, I often wonder if the current, uh, the current um, makeup of what patriarchy is. So um, I, I like your, you know, kind of your definition, you know, um, um, uh, oppression, violence, and um, dominance and dominance um is uh you know is um is grabbing hold of um the angels of our worst nature as men mm. um and what i mean is 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 um i i do think that that there you know like uh, i think as uh, i do think that there's probably some biological differences between um men and women um from the standpoint of aggression um as opposed to um compassion or empathy um but um uh and and that natural tendency of boys to you know to to be aggressive you know um think about those children in our lives in which you know if 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 you lay a toy gun out even if they've never seen um, you know, a gun before. Um, it sure is weird to watch how they just seem to instinctually pick it up and know what to do with it. And um, and uh and there are maybe healthier, better nature, better angels of our nature ways to cultivate those things that don't lead to um, you know, to these current patriarchal ideals. 
Well, yeah, and and that I think is a big part of the work, um, sort of more of the how uh, I think that you were asking about earlier, um, is an approach in which we, uh, first of all, uh, recognize, um, uh, you know, all, all these different parts of ourselves that, as you put it, Jeremy, um, you know that that the the research shows that that higher levels of testosterone are associated with higher levels of aggression. That that's a biological reality to the extent that science uh, can can understand that. Um, so to name that, that that's a real thing. Um, and then from there to uh, to find space to like cultivate a spaciousness for those things to uh, well be be real to not deny them and then also to find other or healthier outlets or ways to express those. Uh, biological tendencies. I only discovered the concept of of healthy aggression just a few years ago, hmm. uh, and um, and in a way that was both really informative and important for the work that I'm doing, but also very personally as someone who grew up, uh, you know, very physical, very much uh, in my body. You know, growing up wrestling around with my uncles all the time, and then later in high school, you know, becoming uh, finding. Um, my my place as part of the high school wrestling team uh, and and um, sort of reconciling that really natural way of being with um, uh, sort of uh, f- finding a place for that way really natural way of being within. Um, what am I trying to say? That just uh, that that oh. I that without shame. And mm. I, I mean, maybe just to start there. Yeah. Uh, without shame, and and uh, and then you know a step further with a sense of pride and gratitude that that too is part of myself, and that there are really uh, healthy and non-destructive ways uh, to 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 be in my in my own experience. Hmm. I think you just touched on something that is really quite powerful, right? Like. Okay, so there's these uh, there's these behaviors of patriarchy. Um, um, you know, uh, can we list them again? We've got uh, um, oppression, violence, and dominance and dominance. dominance. Thank and you. It, yeah, and I'm not. I should say I'm not an expert in systems of patriarchy. I've been reading a bunch of bell hooks lately, and so a lot awesome. of what I'm yeah is is credit to her yeah. yeah well maybe as a disclaimer uh no one on the plowline podcast believes they're an expert you know but but we enjoy conversation and we enjoy education and the and the crossroads of those things can be enlightening thank you for that yeah um the um i you know so you, you know so so you've got these behaviors of patriarchy um and those behaviors it certainly come from somewhere right and and they're going to come from from uh from a seed that um that is planted within us as men and um and holy cow is it possible that shame is one of those seeds yeah uh absolutely i mean that's another core part of our work uh you know you spoke to um would you prefer if I if I referred to you doctor doc as as doctor? What's your how how do you like to be called? Usually, well, people have been calling me Doctor G. <laughs> Doctor G. Okay. 
I'm happy to do that. I know we've worked hard for these things, so I want to exactly, um, yeah, especially, um, yeah, those of us uh, minoritized folks in these in these yes. institutional systems. So, Dr. G, you, you referenced uh, your experience of of trying to reconcile uh, on account of Jeremy's invitation your your own European descent um, into you know, your, your development and, and sort of your, your movement towards resolution, um, you know, and presumably some of the dis-ease or, and even shame that might come mm. along with those identities. Uh, you know, we, my perspective when it comes to men and men's development and, and the idea of like, you know, not just surviving through, thr but thriving is both to, like acknowledge and name the parts of ourselves that are wounded, uh, that feel incomplete or incompetent, or and, and then uh, and then the sort of the second arrow that comes, so to speak, from from Buddhist philosophy that comes from that, which is the the the, the appraisals of those initial experiences of disease um, that that can manifest in the feeling of shame uh, or, or guilt or um, uh, yeah, self-disparagement. Like these, these things are not generative uh, emotions. Mm. Uh, uh, and so much of what we're trying to do to try to pr promote, you know, wholeness and 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 vulnerability and courage. Uh, you know, these these really positive and and generative qualities require us require the men that I work with um, to, to resolve and, and uh, the, some of those, those feelings of shame that we have uh, first uh -huh. as a foremost. Yeah. And it's the upbringing as well. You know, it's like listening to you talk about um, <clears throat> I raised two sons and, you know, it's like, um, and I was really young when I had, you know, had the boys, they're now 36 and mm -hmm. 37 years old. And so it's like having them at 18, um, I did what I, I taught them the things that I was taught from my father and from, you know, my mother, where it's like, um, boys don't cry, you know, get up. And if you, you know, it's like, if, if you fall, get up and keep going and keep playing and don't be a sissy and all of those things, right? That, that I was taught, I implanted into my sons. And so it's like, sometimes I can see even now, now my boys have boys. <laughs> and it's like, I needed to get to the point where I had to tell my sons, listen to what you're saying. The things that you're saying in your head is echoes of things that you heard me say or what you heard your father say. You have the power right now to shift that narrative so that way your sons don't have to repeat the same things that you went through. That conversation as a mother was hard to have because I needed to let them know that that wasn't a good thing for me to say to you. You know, when you fell and you cried and, and me calling you a sissy and, and don't be a, you know, don't be a weakling, you grew up thinking that aggression was the only way that you could overcome it because you were so angry, you were hurt. But the way that you went ahead and 
and resolve that was through anger. And so it's like, you know, it's like, I like that you talk about um, reconciling all of those within yourself, right? Acknowledging that these emotions that, that men have, they are natural, but when we place a label on it, then you have to up, you have to uphold that label because society has said, this is the way it's going to be. That's hard. (laughs) It is. It is very hard. Uh, it's very hard, and this is the kind of messaging that we we sort of um, pound into our young boys and young men uh, from a very early age, and and all uh, in all different directions. And I really appreciate Dr. G also how um, you know the responsibility that you're taking in reaffirming and and reinforcing some of these sort of patriarchal thinking. That's one thing. Again. Uh, credit to Bell Hooks that I so appreciate. Um, it's hard for me as a male, male identified folk uh, person. Um, you know, I, I generally in my work have to be and want to be really careful to never, um, you know, I've got my own work to do. And I, I am really careful about not um, trying to like do anything that feels even remotely like blame uh, especially towards people uh, of uh, and women in particular, for whom, uh, yeah, there's been there's been a far, far a, a massive imbalance and, and disproportion of, of of burden placed on healing. Um, and uh, Bell Hooks speaks to this that like these systems of patriarchy and patriarchal thinking that we're we're all complicit in them. Um, and that really, again, what it takes, and, and again, you know, m- my charter is to, is to, that I take and, and in the work that I do is to really empower men uh, and encourage men to take more responsibility than we have previously uh, and, and sort of counting on the difference that that will make. And, um, you know, we need, we need everyone's help. Hmm. You know, that's one thing that I talk about in my work uh, and just within sort of the environmental context of campus, if I'm having conversations with these young men and encouraging them um, to be brave, to, 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 to face their insecurities and, and the ways in which they feel they might at different times feel in, incompetent or unprepared or incapable um, to s- see those things clearly in order to then move past them and to heal them, uh, and encouraging them to to lean into the vulnerability that that takes to do that. And then someone else on campus in their classroom or something says something, you know, then berates them or, or um, you know, condemns them for being that vulnerable and naming those sort of darker and, and, and susceptible parts of themselves. Then in that way, uh, we might actually be creating more trauma uh, than than previously. Like if we're not coordinated, if we're not mutually invested in supporting this kind of healing, if we're not all collectively uh, careful and attentive to how we are, uh, we may be reinforcing these same patriarchal beliefs, then uh, we may actually be doing more damage than good. Well said. So, so thank you uh, for, for y- your uh, responsibility and that I, uh, it means a lot. The first half to any client, uh, the training that we do with any client that we take on is um, is tools based um, because uh, a huge message that that is in our training is 
If we're going to change, everybody's got to be a part of the conversation, but you can't come into the conversation unless you're prepared to have the conversation. This isn't a debate. This isn't, this is not a, this is not an argument. This is not a, we are not, um, we are not fencing against ideas here. Um, we are co-creating a new world. And that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong or you're wrong or, or, you know, you're right and I'm wrong. What it means is, is that we need to be equipped with the tools in order to create feedback loops within ourselves and within the dialogue that's happening so that we can look and analyze with inquiry, with observation, internally and externally. What's happening here? Why do I feel this way? What's going on? That uh, Buddhist principle that you talked about uh, um, with the idea of of disease and um, unease and um, you know that word that word and it was one of the things the tricks with in reading um, um, Buddhist philosophy that I kind of had to um, realize was that um, well any of this work was that the language can be kind of deceiving because when you, you know, we're using words like unease it can it can sound like oh this you know, this is a, something that you kind of deal with over a long period of time and, you know, and, and it just kind of, no, sometimes you're in the thick of it and, you know, and, and the, and the dissonance that's happening is right now. And that unease that you've got to recognize is here. And, and you've got to be like, wait, what am I feeling right now? You know, why am I feeling this way? Um, that's a skill set that so many people don't have and have never been introduced to much less developed well yeah absolutely i mean the physiological dysregulation alone that comes with these moments that you're describing of of disease of, of dissonance uh you know it blurs perception it, 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 it's uh yeah and uh, unclear thinking and to expect us uh, without those tools to first of all, be able to identify that we're dysregulated or uncentered in the first place, and then to have tools to then move through it. Uh, I mean, there's, it's, it becomes very challenging, uh, or impossible to come up come to these conversations in a way that feels generative. Uh, I agree totally. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think, you know, one of the other things you said, uh, when you were talking about that was, um, you know, was that, uh, to recognize that before it becomes shame and that's that individual feedback loop, right? That's the feedback loop within myself. Um, the fascinating thing, and this is the tricky thing, right? Uh, is that, um, societally it's the shame we put on each other, you know? Um, and, um, and, uh, that's, uh, you know, that, that's what you were talking to Jerry, you know, um, that's tough. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's this, there, you know, as, as, as both of you are talking, I, you know, I keep reflecting back on just, um, the boys, right. It's like, you know, my sons and everything like that growing up and then seeing how they're interacting with their sons and seeing on how this, uh, this uh, generational trauma can continue to be perpetuated if it's not called upon. And, um, but it takes a lot of healing within the individual itself to be able to see that shift and transform and evolve into um, having different ways of thinking. Um, 
you know, it's like I keep I keep thinking about uh, some of my own relatives where they didn't have the um, they didn't have the capacity to actually heal from any kind of trauma that they've had. And it continues on generation after generation after generation. And it becomes the norm. It becomes the norm. This is normal, right? Until someone else will be like, that's not normal. You don't have to be that way. And then when you say that it doesn't have to be that way, then cognitive dissonance sets in and they, they have to um, defend everything that they know because that's their norm. And so that shift that happens, that is a place where I feel, um, you know, where we need the, the resilience and the grace to be able to sit in, you know, in, in those conversations. Because, you know, I mean, when we look at a lot of, and I can only speak from my own experiences, there's been a lot of trauma that has happened with colonization. And a lot of things that has that has been, um, uh, I would say, not introduced. So, alcoholism, drugs, sex abuse, right? Child abuse. Some of these some of these tenets have become normalized in some societies, where it's hard to step into that place where um, change needs to happen. And we see it, we see it. We can see it, you know, in, in a lot of indigenous communities where that's, that toxic masculinity is something that is normal, not knowing that it is perpetuating a lot of harm. So I don't know, what do you two have to say about toxic masculinity? A lot, a lot probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I think that you're describing, I mean, certainly when you're talking about um, sexual relational abuse and stuff, I mean, those are, those are important and extreme forms of uh, a much more subtle forms of of uh of violence and dominance and oppression that are happening mm -hmm. and i think um and and that's sort of one of the things that we we think about especially you know as a developmental scientist and as a, as someone who works in prevention um what are the more what are the upstream sort of attitudes beliefs and worldviews that then sort of contribute to that right um and so they can be something i'll use examples um from uh, my own culture, this one's a little complicated, but uh, I'm first generation American Iranian. And in Persian culture, I don't know if, if you all have any Persian friends or are familiar, there's this concept of uh, taruf, hmm. uh, which is really this, in some ways, this really beautiful uh, form of politeness. Uh, it's you know, insisting, uh, for instance, uh, with my, my, my grandmother, um, that, you know, do you want more food here? Have more food, have more food. And, and that, uh, and then I might be stuffed and full, but it's like, no, no, please like ha have some and, and, and insisting, um, a more 
recent personal example is I was taking a break from drinking alcohol for a minute and my father was offering me his his Jack and Coke special. And I said, no, dad, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Um, but again, Tarof, like insisting, insisting, uh, you know, and I had to say no, like three or four or five times. Again, this is a cultural thing and it's meant from a place of like politeness and care and 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 uh, before finally it was like, dad like i honor my my request hmm. you know to try to bring some clarity to you know however well intentioned this is uh you're you're stomping all over my my really clearly expressed needs mm-hmm. um again this is a really sort of relatively minor sort of form and uh, obviously not uh, of the magnitude of abuse but but that kind of these kinds of like beliefs attitudes thinkings that that are the you know the the, that are the water uh within which we're swimming and and can't really see um some of those are what then uh in my mind and um sort of can develop into some of these more forms uh more extreme forms of uh neglect and and lack of consideration for each other's needs and and individual sovereignty and autonomy dominance oppression and violence yep and sometimes it's also you know i mean it's like um survival as well too right some of some of these some of these um these uh patriarchal ways could also be like survival these toxic ways can also can be can, can be i mean it's like it is very complex like when I left, when I left Hawaii, um, so I'm, I'm first generation higher ed and um, the first person to, in my family to leave the islands and move to the big lands, right? <laughs> and I told my dad when I was 17, I'm like, dad, I want to, I want to leave. I was always curious about what was beyond the boundaries of Hawaii, what, 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 what lived beyond the reef. And my dad sat me down and uh, he, uh, he said, um, this is, he, we were sitting under the mango tree. He was eating his mango and everything. He had salt and pepper and he pours salt onto the table. And I knew it was like, all right, here's a lesson coming, right? And my dad, <laughs> so he pours salt onto the table and he gets a little speck of pepper and he drops it on the salt. And he says, this is you, baby girl. And I'm thinking that I'm like, well, yeah, dad, of course, I'm going to blend in. I'm going to go to the mainland. Everything is going to be fine. Yeah, I'm going to blend in. It's going to be great. And he's like, no, you're the pepper. <laughs> you're the speck of pepper in the sea of salt. You're not going to be treated the same. And I was like, no, that's not the way it is. No, it's not going to happen. I was surrounded by everybody who looked like me. Everyone was family, you know, from the postman to the lady at the grocery store. We were all relatives. And in my mind, I thought it was going to be the same way when I went to live in the mainland. And it wasn't, of course. Um, you know, it's like I, I faced my first bout of racism in Los Angeles and didn't even realize that it was anything like that. I didn't, I didn't have any labels for, you know, to call it. And then when I had my boys, then I started to realize on how um, being men of color was going to be something that they needed to be aware of. 
And so um, their father, my ex-husband, his family was in Los Angeles and the, and the, and the conversations that we would have, you know, bringing up my sons would be like, you cannot be doing the same things as your white friend over there. And I needed, and I, and I had to instill that in my boys, you know, it's like when you are, when you are approached by a police officer, you cannot raise your voice. You cannot do this and you cannot do that. And it was like, you know, of course, teenagers, my boys would, they did stupid things. And it was like, there was one incident where it was the 4th of July and they blew up firework in a parking lot. And I went off Dr. Mobasser. I went off on them. And I was like, you know, telling them about how they would die you all would die, you will get shot with no hesitation because of who you are. And it scared the crap out of them. And whenever they would do, you know, it's like when they were in school, I would have to, I would just run it through their brains. Me and, and their dad would run it through them. Like, this is who you have to be. This is how you have to be. This is why you have to do this because you will not survive if you did it any other way. And so it's like, again, right? It's like embedding these narratives into their heads to where it's like now they're men of color. And, you know, it's like they had to deal with their own bullshit when they were growing up. And now that they're fathers themselves, I can sometimes see that there's still things left over from things that I've said or their father said to them that they're passing on to their sons. Hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, there, there, there's all of these different messages that we could get. Well, and something uh, that strikes me uh, in what you're describing and this, this messaging and the socialization that we, um, that, that our young men inherit is this concept in developmental well, that we think about the way that we think about in developmental sciences as um, what's adaptive, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and one of the ways in a developmental sort of frame that we think about is that what might be adaptive at a given point, and in this case, like for your young men, uh, you know, there was probably a lot adaptive about having a healthy fear and suspicion and and care against being in situations of trouble or being in situations where law enforcement might be involved, uh, it, it, it may very well be a matter of life or death. Um, but then hopefully um, as time goes on, like our, our developmental needs and what's adaptive also changes and evolves. And so can those, can your sons then find themselves later on in life in a place of relative security, stability, in a place where they have developed some of these tools of of managing and and monitoring their own regulation, dysregulation, their decision-making, their emotional experience, uh, in which they can sort of invite, um, you know, other beliefs and attitudes uh, into that same space, right? That it's, um, that maybe they can offer their children a a more 
expansive uh, set of guidance. Mm. Um, yeah. What are some of the tools that you um, that you share with men on you know just regulating? I mean, mindfulness is a big part of of what I do. I myself discovered meditation, mindfulness, uh, just a couple of years after college, and it was really uh, a significant uh, breakthrough in my own sort of emotional and developmental uh, experience. Um, to I guess one of the metaphors that was really helpful for me in those early days was this metaphor of our emotional experience at, at, that often our emotional experience can feel like uh, a hand that's covering our face and what meditation mindfulness can do the the practice of like observing our experience is to sort of pull the hand away from our face a little bit so that we can see it as a part of our broader uh, experience. Hmm. Um, that is a powerful, powerful thing. Cause with that spaciousness, then uh, there can, there can come, uh, uh, you know, agency to then make hmm. decisions about how then to respond to that emotional experience. So whether it be um, shame or insecurity or, or vulnerability or sadness or, um, right. And so that, in a way, uh, this practice of meditation, mindfulness um, is, a, is a tool through which uh, the automaticity of those socialized responses can can kind of be interrupted. Um, so that's one of the tools that that I invite uh, um, hmm. men to participate in. Um, it strikes me in that, that com brief conversation we were just having, uh, that there's an element where you can, where we can draw in, um, where, um, supremacy and white supremacy can come into it. So, you know, Jerry, as you're instructing your children, you're instructing them in a method of dominance, right? This is the way it has to be. This is the way, right? And so, mm -hmm. Although the message might not be a message of dominance, the message is a, is a message of self-protection. Um, the, the, the way the message is being delivered is a, is a message of dominance, um, right? So, you know, patriarchy isn't necessarily um, beholden to just men. And, um, and uh, but when, but um, um, if we create a line of delineation there and on the other side of that is whiteness, um, you know, the message that I got was, um, and it wasn't direct, well, it was direct. It was direct in observing, right? Observing my grandfather talking to the police officer that pulled him over and him rolling down the window and yelling at the officer, telling him he had no business pulling him over. It was, um, it was um, in um, the way that they talked about law enforcement, um, you know, that law enforcement, you know, was there in order to protect us. It was there in order to ensure that that society was, uh, was just and right. And yet at the same time, uh, when it came to their personal interactions with law enforcement, they were above it, um, you know, and, um, and so, um, and so there's a different message of dominance. Right, uh, and and it's a a lesson. Uh, it's a message of dominance in which um, in which not only does it have patriarchy involved in it, it now has white supremacy involved in it, and um, 
and uh and you know it's complex we have these layers of um paradigms within our within our society that we're swimming in that um that unless we create um a, a mindfulness around it uh the the uh i want to say this word correctly auto auto autonomous city how did you say that word uh, yeah uh, uh automaticity Autom automaticity yeah yeah it, it we just we yeah. just move through it yeah when we're very adaptive in that way uh mm. you know um but yeah you you both bring up a really important point and i don't think i, I mean i just want to help articulate that a little bit um you know in the work that we do is the intersectionality uh of this work right there's there's the the experience the, of uh, and perspectives and identities associated with manhood and masculinity and the ways that they uh, interact with uh, the experiences of being a minoritized, a racial or ethnically minoritized person in this world. And uh, the combination of those two uh, are, are convey uh, its own uh, set of challenges and, and responses and developmental trajectories. And that's something else that we think about a lot in, in the work that we do uh, and the work that I do. The, um, the uh, presentation, Leaving Men Behind at the Encore conference, um, specifically, uh, it, it dived in, it dove into um, a number of these concepts, but not nearly to the, to the depth that we are. And, and I think this is where the real meat and potatoes are. What what the presentation um, ultimately was was trying to convey was um, was that at least on college campuses, but certainly um, in society as a whole, we are um, you know we are doing a very good job of messaging to um, to groups of people that um, thirty years ago were traditionally excluded um, from from these um, institutions, these conversations, these uh, places, which would be women um, and um, and anybody that has been um, othered other than white male. Um, and um, and that pendulum has now flipped. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you recall any of the statistics. I have very little of it, um, the, the statistics written down, but college enrollment by by males is is considerably down um college completion by males is um is considerably down um and then their participation within the social groups the um 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 on campus is um is almost non-existent do you do you want to talk about that just a little bit yeah sure i also don't have the statistics right in front of me as well but um you know, yeah, to your point, we've done an amazing job and, and need to continue doing an amazing job of, of inviting uh, previously excluded um, people into these institutions of higher education and, and all the opportunities that come along with it. Uh, at the same time, whatever it is that we're doing, whether it be both at college colleges, but also culturally, uh, is creating um, is is contributing to a, a huge gender disparity. Uh, there's far less male identified folks uh, enrolling in college and the ones that do um, aren't, aren't, yeah, as you said, Jeremy, are, are, are not engaged. Uh, there's a couple places that we see where male identified college students do engage. Those are typically things like athletics, hmm. uh, intramural sports, uh, occasionally um, career fairs are another area where uh, we see um, 
more uh, representation from male-identified students, but anything else, pretty much, uh, whether it be uh, student government or, uh, yeah, other student organizations, um, the mental health support services that we have on campus, whether they be Counseling Center or the Wellness Center on campus, um, you know, even within uh, majors, save for uh, business majors, pretty much every other uh, major, and especially those that are related to the helping professions, psychology, uh, education, those are um, men, male identifying students are, are very underrepresented uh, across all of those areas of college campus. And so, um, yeah, if they're not, uh, I mean, it, it creates a lot of questions and uncertainties, right? To the extent that we believe um, college to be an opportunity, maybe one of the last opportunities to, in a really systematic and structured way, convey and, and knowledge, both academically, but also in terms of a, a person's whole development um, to help shepherd our, our next generation of adults into, uh, and into adulthood, um, then we're doing a really poor job. We're missing a really significant opportunity uh, to help uh, support the development of our young men. Yeah. Yeah. And if young men are making it into college, um, you know, um, that's a, uh, and whether they complete or not, hopefully they, you know, they, they are that, that, that track comes with, um, you know, um, it, it begins to kind of change trajectories a little bit. And, uh, but, but if we, if we take a look at that same trend, um, on culture and society as a whole, you know, when we're looking at um, at uh, things like um, alt-right culture or we're looking, uh, you know, what we're really looking at is we're looking at um, a group of people who, um, uh, to you know, by their own admission, feel left out, right? Uh, and um, and so what have they done? Um, instead of, instead of, uh, instead of because it's it's human behavior instead of um utilizing that that moment of feeling left out in order to create those feedback loops of self-awareness and mindfulness um the those those natures of uh patriarchy are becoming condensed they're becoming little little diamonds of patriarchy you know like sharp and hard with uh with extraordinarily vicious edges that um that the you know that if you listen to the messaging dominance oppression and violence um appears to be starting to boil out of of this portion of society we now have a, a magma vent of uh of this starting to boil out and um and it's not it's not so alt right anymore when you've got individuals who um who are election deniers and and whatnot um winning their you know, winning their um, their state uh, caucuses um, so that they will be put on the ballot for this next election. The, the, this is uh, a culmination of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, people people get in get in where they fit in, uh, and you know, from a developmental mm -hmm. perspective, belonging, feeling included, is a really fun as a fundamental human need. Uh, and so if we are uh, at institutions where we are bastions of, 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 of co critical consciousness and of, of self-reflection, of learning, of growth, 
if those are not spaces in which people who are socialized as men are welcome and included, then they'll find somewhere else with a different, you know, with whatever other set of values uh, in which they can feel a sense of belonging and, and inclusion. Um, yeah. Yeah. How are you creating the um, campus or what kind of outreach or what kind of things are you doing to create this space of belonging or welcoming for for, you know, male identifying individuals? Uh, yeah, well, one thing um, we we don't do, uh, unfortunately, that that my sense and our, our belief is that um, some of those these communities um, and these conversations that we've had have been so uh, conversations about inclusion and social justice and and um, and critical consciousness and and self reflection. Um, they they have unfortunately been uh, perceived as 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 one. Uh, of the same of exclusion that like these are conversations in which men are sometimes not welcome or men are disparaged or shamed or ridiculed uh and so what we don't do is is frame any of our work uh in those same in that same language um mm -hmm. you know even though that's a huge part uh, a lot of times of what we're doing um, we have to be really sensitive and mindful of, uh, you know, a line that I used during our end court presentation, Jeremy, was was communication is message received. Mm. Uh, and so even though uh, I think there's I might think that there's totally a space, um, you know, plenty of space in conversations about social justice and equity and even about toxic masculinity for men of all sort of experiences to show up and participate. Oftentimes, those labels are perceived by men, maybe especially the young men that we we aspire to reach most, as uh, synonymous with exclusion or synonymous with with shame and ridicule uh, and disparagement. And so uh, we we don't we don't use those terms, including toxic masculinity. Uh, I, I know that when I'm describing or when we're talking about toxic masculinity, we're describing one particular form, uh, an expression of masculinity. Mm -hmm. But a lot of men and young men uh, don't understand that and don't perceive it that way. They, they perceive it to be uh, a, a, um, a, a disparagement of masculinity and manhood on the whole. Right. Um, yeah. And I, and I hear that, you know, I mean, it's like working with, uh, with young men myself and also hearing it from my sons, you know, it's like some of the, some of the, um, the um, ideologies that are popping out in the social justice world, you know, even my boys are like, mom, hell no, I'm not going to go there and get myself torn down. Mm. Why am I going to, why am I going to do that? And so it's like, I hear that as well too. And then it's like, we turn around and it's like, wait, what up? There's no man coming. It's like, well, are we, <laughs> Are we even having a uh, creating a space or co-creating a space where we are inviting people to come in and, you know, male identifying individuals to come in? So, yeah. And, and, and how do we find that balance? How do we find that balance? Well, well, I'll say, and I and I'm 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 embarrassed that I don't remember, but one of the presentations that I went to at, at Encore uh, this past year, someone used this phrase that just so deeply resonates: is that this work can only move at the speed of trust. Mm. Mm. 
And so that's the approach that, that we take in our work is, is first and foremost, it's about relationships. It's about trust. Yes. It's about authentic, yes. authentic relationship. Uh, and so from there, and that might look in the work that we do, it might look like a video game night or, mm -hmm. you know, lawn games where we, you know, we play spike ball or a trivia night or something to that effect where people can show up and see that, okay, this is a space in which uh, I, I can belong or that I can have genuine conversations. People do care and are actually interested in, in me and what my experience is and, and don't, and don't immediately see me only as, you know, my, my race or ethnicity or, or, you know, whatever other narratives, um, sort of the broader narratives. And so uh, that's been our approach. Um, you know, we think, Jeremy, if, if, you know, during the Encore presentation, we spoke of this. We talk about and think about the work that we do uh, as two very distinct, discrete phases. Uh, you know, oftentimes in this work, we think about the content, right? And so how do we how do we teach? What is the pedagogy, the effective pedagogy around teaching mm -hmm. social social justice and, and equity, uh, which is so important. And that's something that, that I'm constantly working to de develop, develop. Um, but but all of that does us no good if nobody shows up in the first place, if these men aren't in the room. And so a, a whole other phase of this work that we do and, and arguably the more important phase uh, is is to um invite men to to show up in the first place um and yeah uh the way that we do that is to create spaces and places and and activities uh and that feel safe uh and that and that men are already inclined to or, or interested in in showing up to yeah that's that's great dr Milbasser. and you know it's like now that you know you shared all of this knowledge with us so thank you so much and now it's like I'm I'm beginning to think on all right how are how how are we creating these spaces and are we actually inviting the co-creation for men to be able to come into these spaces especially the work that we do right around around equity and colonization is how do we invite them into the conversation authentically and not being like, we want to invite your authentic self, but leave this part of you out and leave that part of you out, which they're like, well, if I can't bring my whole self, then why do I want all. to be there? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to be coming anyway. So you've, you've definitely given us some ideas on, you know, just reflecting on, you know, what are some of the things we're doing and inviting men, you know, male identifying individuals into our space. Well, and, so and an you. important thing, yeah, thank you also. And an important thing is that you know, uh, bringing our whole authentic selves uh, it, it actually isn't appropriate in some spaces. For instance, mm -hmm. we work a lot yeah. um, with the Women's Center uh, here on our campus, uh, who, who's, uh, who does amazing work uh, advocating for and, and providing safe spaces for survivors of sexual violence, uh, most of whom are, are female identifying folks. Uh, we don't go into those spaces uh, and bring our whole authentic selves and our experiences of being socialized with these dominant things. Like there are some spaces in which uh, we aren't and shouldn't um, be showing yeah. up with our whole selves. And so, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why 
doing, you know, being very explicit and, and specific about doing male identified programming is really powerful because it creates, helps carve out just at least some part in which uh, that is um, okay. Uh, and, you know, in the context of a broader culture in which people have been, uh, have been significantly harmed uh, and have appropriately and understandably have significant trauma responses to um, to to being in in community with with pe some people's whole selves. Uh, we have to find other spaces in which it feels safe and 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 generative for people to show up in that way. Awesome. Language is definitely important. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Well, Jeremy, you want to close us out then? Yeah. Um, Arian, do you have uh, any any place that um, um, you want people to find you um, uh, so that you can talk more about this work with them? Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Uh, you can, my primary area of work currently is at the University of Oregon, the University of Oregon's uh, MRC or Men's Resource Center. Uh, it's one of the first and uh, still only uh, campus uh, resources of its kind that that aspires to do exactly what I was just talking about, creating at least one little corner of, of campus community in which men can show up as their whole selves and hopefully bring uh, sort of the acceptance and awareness and the presence required to, to then move forward. Um, so that's one area. Uh, I am also, it's not in my bio, I haven't mentioned it, but I have uh, just recently launched my own consulting uh, practice as well. Um, it doesn't have a name yet. It's just me. Uh, but yeah, hoping to, you know, I think this conversation and thank you both for the invitation. This is a conversation that um, that more people are, are having um, in in their respective areas of work uh, to, to create more just uh, society. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm eager to try to help and leverage what we've learned uh, to, to help expand to those communities as much as possible. That's awesome. That'd Thank be you. great. I'm hoping that uh, every college campus will have a men's resource center. And so I'm sure that you are going to be very busy duplicating it. <laughs> so All thank right. you so much for being with us. Well, you've been listening to uh, the Plotline podcast, and uh, we've had our very special guest here, um, Dr. Ariane Mabasser, and we've had a fantastic conversation with you. Thank you again so much. If um, if you enjoy this conversation or others, there are places that you can find us on social media. We're at Plowline, um, and uh, that's uh, at Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, and if you are interested in exploring these ideas with your organization deeper, uh, Jerry and I would love to have this conversation with you. And we can be found at co3consulting.net. That's C-O, the number three, consulting.net. And if you want to become a part of this community and contribute to the ongoing effort of trying to have great conversations um, and get them out there so that people can uh, listen to them, you can find us at patreon.com backslash Plowline Productions. We really appreciate your time, everybody, and we appreciate you listening. And uh, uh, Dr. Mobasser, thank you again for your time. Thank you so yes. much to both of you thank and you to the so audience much. as well. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, everyone, have a good day. Ahui ho until we see each other again. Aloha. Take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>